Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the UK's biggest Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's Season 2, Episode 10, starring the cigar-chomping comic, George Burns. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppet-sational! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppet-sational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And this week, as I'm sure you've already seen by our episode title, we are joined by a special guest. Our guest this week is Scott Hansen, who is the co-founder of Muppet Wiki in 2005. He has previously worked for Wikia. He also founded the Superman Wiki and is a bureaucrat for the Wonder Woman Wiki. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I've got to say, the uh, the Muppet Wiki has been... Uh, a great deal of help for us over the first uh, season and a half of recording Muppet Sational. And uh, anytime we have missed anything, our listeners have been very good at directing us to Muppet Wiki to show us where we have gone wrong. So thank you so much for not only providing us with corrections, but with our listeners too. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad it's been helpful and um, I'm sorry for the headaches. <laughs> no, no headaches at all. It's so It's so amazing to be able to have that resource to go to every single week i watch the episode and then the first thing i do is go to muppet wiki and find out what i can from muppet wiki and then go on the rabbit holes and the deep dives from there but yeah i I, thank thank you genuinely we're so so grateful (laughs) for thank you (laughs) all of the all of the work that everyone does putting into it it's it's an astounding resource truly well thank you for for using it yeah we we have an incredible group of editors um you know as you said we started in 2005 so we've been going at this for you know well over uh 16 years and um yeah i mean editors have have come and gone but we've had a a strong um you know core group of editors and administrators who kind of look over the whole thing make sure that everything's in in good shape make sure that everything is accurate make sure everything everything is is sourced properly so that you know somebody says like hey are are you sure that that's correct we can we can point to you know a a published source or or a documentary or you know something to point out the fact that yep yeah this is this is indeed how things went down and um you know really it's just all about uh documenting everything pretty much everything that jim henson never ever did in his career that's fantastic um, Scott, the question that we ask all of our uh, guests that we have on uh, Muppet Sational, or at least the very first question we ask them is, how did you first get into the Muppets? Uh, well, I think it probably starts uh, the same as uh, most folks. Uh, you know, you were introduced to them at a, at a young age. Uh, for me, um, as it directly relates to this podcast, I, I, I didn't watch The Muppet Show uh, religiously or, or really all that quite frequently. I certainly have episodes that I remember watching and, and catching. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the, in the 80s, so, you know, I was at the very tail end of when the, the show was airing in its first run and then in, in its reruns. Uh, but for me, uh, growing up... Um, the the three Jim Henson movies were were kind of like the the seminal Muppet works for me, um, and everything else was kind of secondary to that. And then every every Christmas uh, it was a um, uh, it was a tradition for us to play the the John Denver and the Muppets uh, a Christmas together album. That that to me is 
you know, keep keep every episode of the Muppet Show, keep every movie, <laughs> and and I'll just hang on to that record because it's it's just perfect to me. And if you've ever held the the physical record in your hand and you've opened up and looked at that beautiful gatefold uh, designed by Michael Frith beautifully, um, it's just a it, it's it's a beautiful little little work of art. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I came to it. And then you know, uh, as I got older. It, it, interests kind of went elsewhere uh when my daughter was born um i immediately started looking for things that i could bring back into my life that were you know important to me as a kid or that shaped me as as a kid and uh sesame street and the muppets were were certainly one of the first places that that i went to um and it was around that time that um danny horn who started uh muppet scene uh in the 90s uh, he started Tough Pigs uh, around that time in the early 2000s. And um, actually, I think it was, it was either, when did he start? He either started that in 99 or, or 2000, I can't remember. But um, uh, I quickly, you know, I, I got to know him. Uh, I worked as a researcher for him, and we worked on a number of articles together. I did a lot of technical stuff uh, for him. Uh, and then one day uh, we were talking uh, on the phone, actually, we uh, Wikipedia was kind of gaining speed and uh, it was, he had the idea, Danny said, um, you know, why don't, why don't we do a Wikipedia, but for, uh, you know, for, for the Muppets. Um, and uh, I won't, you know, I won't get too deep into that, that whole thing, but uh, basically that's where we started. We said, yeah, okay, let's, let's set it on up. And uh, here we are 16 years later. That's amazing. It is. It is amazing. It's such a, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess we started a podcast, but I can't even imagine the the gargantuan task of taking on something like Jim Henson's body of work and everything else that's come out of that, because it's just so incredibly vast. Obviously, I guess it starts smaller and then you, you build on it for 16 years plus. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, pretty famously, our our first article was for Fozzie Bear, and uh, the only contents of that article, it, it you you clicked on the Fozzie Bear article, and it said Fozzie Bear is a bear, <laughs> uh, and that was it. That's and it it just built from there, um, you know. And of course, at the at the time, you know, this was uh, in two thousand five, so people had been. Uh, you know, building episode guides for their favorite TV shows for well over a, a decade or so. And you could find episode guides for all the Star Trek series, all the X-Files series, uh, pretty much anything that had like a big fan yeah. following. Mm -hmm. You could you could get something like that, too. But um, and there were a few, you know, there were some for for the Muppets, um, but we really kind of wanted to do a, a deep dive uh, there was virtually nothing for for Sesame Street, mostly because you know the vast majority of those four thousand plus episodes are just—I don't want to use the word lost, but they're they're kind of tucked away mm -hmm. and they're they're really inaccessible. At the time, the Muppet Show was also fairly uh, inaccessible. It had uh, most recently run in uh, uh, reruns on Nickelodeon and then uh, the Odyssey Channel, or vice versa. Um, it had also run on uh, the Disney Channel in the UK, I believe. Um, I'm probably getting some of that wrong, but anyway, it was it was kind of around, and people had you know they had taped episodes from TV, so you could you know there were there were tape trading uh, circles where you know people would make dubs and mail them to each other before we had Kazar and file sharing online. Um, 
but uh, yeah, we 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 kind of built uh, built up from there, and now that it's available on Disney Plus, everybody you know outside of two episodes and and uh, a handful of episodes that don't have a, a complete uh, cut there, um, it's it's all up on Disney Plus, and everybody can go check it out anytime, which is which I think is amazing. I think it's it's great. It's it's about time that you know new generations could could discover it and inspire you know folks like you to to start up a a podcast to go through the whole thing I, I think that's exciting it is i mean it's it's been so i mean we we're all obviously just lifelong muppet fans but our interaction has entirely been via the films or the tv specials or a little bit of muppet babies as well so actually to sort of get to the almost the uh the the the, the core text or the sort of, you know these uh, sacred scrolls has been a really sort of fun and interesting experience to see the show sort of develop and those characters find their footing um this might be a difficult question but and obviously you know you've got 16 years worth of uh, sort of research and building and uh, everything to go on it was there one particular sort of surprising or unusual fact that you, you sort of either found or sort of came to light via Muppet Wiki that sort of stood out to you in some way or something that surprised you? Oh, gosh, so many. Like, <laughs> I, no, I realise that's see, such like, a vast question. <laughs> con- no, it, 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 it's, a, it's incredible. It constantly happens. Uh, you know, I keep a... Um, you know, we have communication tools on, on the wiki, uh, but we also, uh, the admins, we keep a kind of off-wiki chat going and... Um, whenever we find something that is that's incredible or something that we never knew existed, you know, there there are things that you know. There's a lot of uh, Sam and Friends stuff that people know is is lost, and we kind of have descriptions of it. And we're, you know, there's there's an inkling that there's something like that out there that we might one day see. Um, and I'm, I'm on the spot, and I, I can't think of anything specific, but. There, you know, every once in a while we come across something where we didn't even know something existed mm. and um, it just kind of pops up uh, out of nowhere. You know, some it, it, it might be like a celebrity who worked with the Muppets that we never thought had worked with the Muppets. It might be a project that they did. Um, there's, you know, and, and again, un, unlike other franchises, you know, uh, I'm a big Star Trek fan um, and all of Star Trek is out there mm. to, you know, anybody can go and look at and even before streaming, you know, you could get the, the DVDs, even going back to the sixties. Um, it was pretty easy to, to get your hands on, on that stuff and, and the books and whatnot. Uh, but with, with Jim Henson's career um, and, and because it was not just, you know, one show or one series of shows, he did so many different things, so many different franchises. Um, there's, there's an enormous amount of material that has um, yet to be discovered, and we're still finding new things. And I'm I'm always amazed um, at uh, you know the, the the stuff that we haven't found yet, and when we do find something new, that you know we can we can finally say, oh wow, you know here it is. Let's let's put it out to the world. And and uh, when when we do, there's a there's an article for it. And we we go as deep as we can. That's fantastic. It must be such a sort of rewarding thing to do. Um, we should probably jump into the uh, episode that we're wanting to look at today. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there? So uh, you chose uh, George Burns from the, the the second season. Is there a particular reason you decided upon this episode to uh, to come on and join us to chat about? Uh, well, it was one of the episodes that was available when uh, Jade reached out. Um, yeah, the, people did one. snap them up fast. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
no, and I, I think also I had probably just rewatched uh, some some George Burns stuff. Um, George Burns is, uh, you know, he, he what what an incredible career this guy had. He lived to be a hundred years old. Uh, he's he's one of only two Muppet Show guests who were before who were born before 1900. The other one was uh, he and Senior Wences were born in the same year, 1896. Um, but uh, he's 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 interesting because um, his his movie career, like his feature film career, didn't really start until the mid nineteen seventies. You know, he's got this long career of vaudeville and radio and uh, television shows and um, you know, kind of variety show appearances. He he did you know if you look at his filmography, there there are some films listed in the nineteen thirties, but they're they, they were kind of like these theatrical shorts. His feature film career didn't really start until the mid seventies. Um, if you're if you're interested, do you get into trivia now, or do you do you get how do you do trivia? Emma normally tees us up with a little bit about the guest. Um, but so if I okay, what, right. no, it's great, it's great. So if I just kick us off with <laughs> the production information for the show, and then we can just carry on with this perfect. conversation. I think yeah, perfect. Yeah, cool. So this episode was originally broadcast. On the 30th of September 1977, it was written by Jerry Jewell, Joseph A. Bailey, Jim Henson and Don Hinckley and directed by Peter Harris. And Emma, following on from Scott's already very extensive (laughs) biography on George Burns, what else did you find out? Yeah, so um, as Scott was just saying, George Burns was born in 1896, which just completely blew my mind when I found that out. Um, And yes, he lived to 100, which is absolutely crazy. Um, He was a comedian, actor, singer, writer. Um, He was on vaudeville, radio, TV and film. Um, He started his career as a child um, in vaudeville. And then in 1923, he met uh, Gracie Allen, um, who he then went on to marry, but they started as a comedy duo act. um, And they were very successful um, on radio. They were on um, NBC radio from 1932 to 1950. Like Scott was saying, he's also in a few little films during the 30s. Um, And then they moved on to um, TV and they were on CBS. And then, yeah, in the 70s, he kind of had a bit of a career renaissance and he appeared in a few different films and he actually won Best Supporting um, Actor Oscar for his performance in The Sunshine Boys. Um, And he was described as the legendary cigar-chomping performer. Um, And in 1988, he won the Lifetime Achievement Award um, from the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. Nice. And yeah, he he was pretty active right up to his death, essentially. And he was doing a lot of uh, shows and things like that. And then he died aged 100 in 1996. Wow. I, Incredible. I can't believe he would have been 16 when the Titanic sank. Like that, <laughs> I know, it's that unbelievable. That is the kind of thing that just... If he'd lived one year longer, he could have seen the movie on which that event that happened while he was a teenager was based. Well, maybe that's where you got out of there. He was like, I can't be doing with this. I lived through it once. I will hear one bad word against... Oh, okay. I was like, I will not hear one bad word. No, I mean, mean, from his point of view, he was like, I lived through the actual thing. I do not need to see... Well, he wasn't on the boat, Jade. Like, George Burns wasn't there going, oh, you think that iceberg's bad? You should have seen the iceberg I had in my whiskey. I'm sure he did a bit about Titanic, Lewis. (laughs) It kind of... It completely 
completely blew my mind to think of like all the historical moments that he lived through in time he's like forrest gump (laughs) (laughs) that's completely nuts like because he already looked i mean fairly old on the muppet show and the fact that he then is going to hang around for another 20 years or so after that fact is and he was smoking a cigar like the entire time and clearly lived on cigars that was a secret it just shows like nothing matters i'm gonna drink this vodka martini like with impunity now (laughs) Scott, was the cigar thing something that he just always constantly had, do you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you watch any uh, of his uh, TV shows or his appearances, uh, he always had a cigar in his hand. Uh, and, you know, they make some jokes about it here in, in The Muppet Show. We'll get to mm. them as we as we go through. But um, So I grew up, when he was in three movies um, where he plays God. He, he's in the Oh God movies. Uh, oh God, Oh God, book two and Oh God. Um, and uh, oh god you devil is the third one which is a lot of fun because he plays he plays god opposite himself as the devil oh wow uh, oh my god but in the yes literally oh god uh, <laughs> oh god oh for goodness sake n- nicely done lewis <laughs> uh, but no in the in the first one where he um uh, he stars with with uh, Muppet Joe guest star john denver uh he there's they actually wrote a, a bit in because you know and anybody who was working on that movie, they they know that George Burns is known for appearing with a cigar. And they said, okay, well, can we have God smoking a cigar in this movie? <laughs> Apparently, they decided not and wrote a joke about it. And um, what is the the actual line is? Um, uh, oh, he he. I I forget how how the the exchange starts, but he his his line is tobacco was one of my big mistakes. He says, <laughs> as, as God. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was a little you know tongue in cheek joke there for the for the audience. Anybody who who was going to see that movie, I'm sure knew him from yeah. his TV show appearances, yeah. and you just didn't see George Burns without a cigar in his hand. He seems like quite a cool guy. I mean, when when the when the scene opens, and obviously we get our sort of like cold open with uh, Scooter going to the dressing room. Um, my first note is George Burns seems like the kind of guy who may have called a hit on somebody. <laughs> like he just had the. End- I don't know. He just had the look or energy of somebody who may have maybe ordered someone to death, but I don't know. <laughs> he just felt so relaxed to me. Like he was clearly having a really great time, but also the way that he delivered, like even with this, this like silly little joke about Gonzo fiddles while George Burns, like he even played around with that in a way that just felt like, effortlessly cool. Just clearly such a master entertainer <laughs> oh, yeah. he was in his 70s yeah that's that's a great joke it's a good it's and and of course so so like a lot of things in this episode it goes right back to his vaudeville act um this this episode is so very george burns which you know i didn't know at the time because i i barely knew george burns i you know i knew him from the odd oh god movies and that was about it when i was younger um but as you go through this episode again, just the flavor of his humor is written all throughout. And I don't know if that's because the writers reached out to him and asked for his input on the script or if the writers were just f- familiar with his act and said, like, let's write a George Burns episode. It's it, it's obviously one of those two because this, you know, Gonzo fiddles while George Burns always loved that joke. And of course, you know, he comes around and, and adds uh you know, a, a new little twist to it, um, saying like, you know, I, 
what, what does he say? Um, I think he says, I love a joke that's older than me or something older along than I. those lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, of course, is so so that that is a literal reference to they uh, they did that bit, uh, him and um, Jack Benny for years. Jack Benny was a, a violinist. Uh, they they worked together all the way back to the, the vaudeville days. And uh, Jack fiddles while George Burns was a was a you know a common joke that they they told. So the fact that they bring it back here and not only do they put a new spin on it, but they put a new kind of you know uh, comedy button on the end of it, mm. I think is is perfect and just just right for the Muppet You're Show. You're so right about the writing; it's so much more patter, and and not so much in the the sort of season one writing of the Muppet Show where it was kind of like quite leaden puns that kind of sort of like land with a thud and the audience groans and you move on this is so light on its feet and just kind of has a sort of frivolity but also like an eloquence and sharpness to it that it it really just makes the whole episode uh it gives it kind of a verve and a nice real well vaudeville old school energy and obviously to have george doing it he's such a master that it kind of feels like it just elevates like every all of the other performers around him to sort of match his level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there's so much of the Muppet Show is a reference to vaudeville anyway, or or maybe not a reference, but I mean, uh, you know, there are elements of it there. A lot of the the humor comes from there. They they definitely took a lot of songs from, from that were popular in, in vaudeville. So the fact that they have, you know, I think when uh, Edgar Bergen was on the show, they talk about how they have like you know entertainment royalty there, or maybe it was. Maybe it was also Milton Berle. They probably said it a few times, but uh, from the perspective of the type of vaudevillian um, entertainment that they were doing with, you know, song song and dance and and the humor, George Burns is definitely royalty. This is this is a great episode to get kind of like a you know, a good perspective on, on where they were coming from when they were putting the show together. Much better this one than the, uh, we actually recently, in the in the order we've been uh, recording, just encountered the Edgar Bergen episode. And I don't think any of us could quite get over the fact of how much Edgar Bergen's mouth moves while he's meant to be being a ventriloquist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, don't forget, he's, I'm sure you talked about this too, but he started on, on radio too. And, you know, yeah. the fact that he's doing a ventriloquist act on, well, I, I guess he didn't start on radio. I guess, again, it was also vaudeville, but the fact that he, he became so popular on radio is just so ironic because, you know, nobody nobody could see them. So, of course, he could do whatever he wanted to. Yeah, we did say that. Yeah. <laughs> but also in a theatre, you know, if you're in the back of the stools, you wouldn't have been able to Even see Even in the front row, you'd anyway, still be like maybe you, six you know? to ten feet away from him. Whereas a camera is incredibly yeah. unforgiving. And it's just, that's just a man talking. <laughs> that's just, yeah. while holding a dummy. Well, that's why, uh, to, to tangent very slightly, you know. Uh, we welcome tangents, it's and... fine, don't worry. <laughs> So, so Jim Henson talks about how you know people would get nervous if they saw him in the same shot as Kermit or something like if he was appearing on the Tonight Show or or whatever. But you know he never he never claimed to be a, a, a ventriloquist or somebody who was throwing his voice. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, some of some of the earlier appearances that he would do on talk shows in the sixties and seventies, uh, he's in the same shot as Kermit and as. Uh, 
as things went on into into the 80s you see him less and less and then of course after he passes away and steve whitmire takes over you you almost never ever see them together um but you know there, there are certain talk shows that he appears on where you can see that they and i don't know if it was the choice of the camera operator or the director or whatever you know zooming right in on kermit and trying to crop jim out of the shot to me it feels like such a shame like we're being robbed of seeing I don't know, the, the full performance of like just seeing the magic happen because Jim was okay with it. So, you know, the producers of, of these other TV shows should have been fine with it too. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely a different, um, actually, and, and that's, this is, we're not talking about the Edgar Bergen episode anyway. This is the George <laughs> Burns episode. What are we doing? <laughs> the other thing I really felt like with this episode was that it felt so British there were so many references and songs and just, I don't know, the whole way through, there just seemed to be little nods to British culture and history. And I have no idea whether that was because they wanted to do something that was more musical vaudeville because of having George Burns on, or whether that was just a coincidence because of having the introduction of Fleet Scribbler and things. But it felt like one of the most British episodes of the show we've seen so far. Short of Bruce Forsyth, I think, maybe. <laughs> yes, short of Brucey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure you guys have talked about the, the UK spots before and how those were uh, kind of custom-made for, for the, the, the British audience. Um, but yeah, I think the, the majority of the songs, well, certainly the songs that George is involved in in this, he had done before, he had recorded them, mm-hmm. uh, he had done them in, in his act before, Um I, I don't know what the origins of, of a lot of them are. I mean, certainly uh, Watcher knocked him in the old Kent Road, whatever that song yeah. is called. That's, you know, that's that's super musical uh, stuff right there. Well, one song that certainly isn't incredibly British uh, is the first <laughs> number we get. Emma, why don't you lead us into <laughs> the opening number that we get from this episode? Yeah, so our opening number of this episode is Miss Piggy in a Carmen Miranda-esque costume (laughs) in some sort of like hacienda with some um, (laughs) maraca playing pigs. And I'm probably going to completely murder what this song is called. Oh, oh, sorry, I realise Emma's uh, elocution is not always the strongest. (laughs) Come on, Emma, you can do it. It's always nice to throw Emma a curveball sometimes. Go on, Emma. (laughs) We believe in you, Emma. We believe in you. We believe. Oh, God, I'm getting really stressed now. Um, I think it's called Cuenta la Gesta? Cuenta la Gusta. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) You were very close. Oh, at least I actually said it you in did. one you did. sentence, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. <laughs> What we'll see there, who will be there? What'll be the big surprise? There may be signoritas uh-huh. with dark and flashing eyes. We're on our way. We're on our way. Back up your pack. Back up your pack. And if we stay. And if we stay. We won't come back. We won't come back. How can we go? We haven't got the time. But we're going. And we're going to have a happy time. Now... <laughs> 
a shock, I'm sure, to everyone. I absolutely loved this. This was <laughs> camp gold. It felt like an MGM <laughs> sort of <laughs> set piece that you'd find in one of their sort of like folly ensemble films. I and Piggy was just so much fun and so great. It was it was joyful. After the day I've had, it's been absolutely joyful to watch this. <laughs> Piggy was amazing, but it wasn't just Piggy. All of the other pigs were amazing too. You had the ones up on the balcony clapping along and the one playing the trumpet that was throwing herself over the balcony, which I think we'll probably talk about in a minute. But the whole ensemble was absolutely amazing. And I really loved how colourful and vivacious it was, I guess. And I've also felt like they had thought about how they wanted to stage it with Piggy moving back and forward to the camera because it was quite a relatively simple setup but then actually because of that movement and then because of having that shot that looked up to the balcony as well it really really brought it to life and it felt a lot more yeah energetic and sort of lived in than quite often the the opening number does yeah scott what did you make of it uh, well i'm sure you've heard the story dave goals tells about this number right he's told it on um, several different occasions um he he wrote about it in uh i think i probably first read about it in jim henson the works uh i think he talks about it on one of the special features on the muppet treasure island uh disc too when he's talking about how as performers it was uh expected of each other that they would try to upstage each other uh so jade you were talking about the the pigs up on the balcony they're the one who sort of bends over backwards playing the the horn or the trumpet whatever it is and uh that was that was dave specifically trying to upstage frank in in that number <laughs> and uh, i i think it was steve whitmire who was next to him the other pig in the in the balcony there who was you know uh i i think he was he's trying to show off for him and they both knew that frank was you know kind of going to get a little peeved that that Piggy was being upstage because if there's any character you don't want upstage, it's Piggy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it works really well. It's a, it's, a, it's a good example of the way that they would play with each other behind the scenes. But what's so great about this as well, even just in a narrative sense, that Piggy does get this very gorgeous opening number and she's fabulous in it. And she's, you know, leading this sort of band of other pigs who, you know... <laughs> also just do not have the same level of features as her either. So that even at their best attempt to pull focus, she's the only one with like whites of her eyes as well. So can, you're, you're naturally more just drawn to her. But then you get to the finale where they lift her and she crosses her gorgeous little fishnet leg and then they just drop her on the floor. And it's just such a perfect little button that's sort of that kind of deflation of Piggy, much to her chagrin, is just so the perfect kind of little button like she doesn't even get to sort of have the full moment of a a gloriously sort of concluded number she still has to get dropped by her slightly incompetent co-stars yeah the the muppets have have done a lot of carmen miranda-esque stuff uh this is probably the most carmen miranda-esque thing they did yeah. because it's literally a carmen miranda number uh that she did uh in uh, 1948 um in the movie a day with judy but um, I, I knew it from, 
before I had, I, I, this was not one of the episodes that I, I had seen growing up. I had, I knew this song first from, it was in an episode of Quantum Leap, <laughs> uh, where the main character, if you're familiar with that show, he leaps around in different people's bodies uh, throughout yes. time. Scott Bakula? Scott Bakula, yeah. Yeah, yeah great show. Um, he, uh, he, he leaps into a, a woman who's competing in a, a beauty contest or a talent contest. So he, <laughs> you, you've got Scott Bakula in this Carmen Miranda get up, uh, <laughs> prancing around the stage like an idiot, trying to perform Quanta Lagusta. I, I think Miss Piggy did it better. <laughs> she wins. I'm sure she'd be grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's really bizarre that this Karma Miranda number was in this because I was actually randomly reminded of Karma Miranda the other day because there was a guy on one of my uni courses for my BA who was weirdly obsessed with Karma Miranda. Jade, we went on the same university course together. I don't understand. Yeah, no. No, I think he was straight, Lewis. Which what? kind of made it... Yeah, I know. Um, But he, he'd written about Karma Miranda in so many of his courses that the tutors were having to tell him he had to stop writing about Carmen Miranda <laughs> or it might actually like impact him being able to get his degree because he was basically like going over the same stuff constantly. Yeah, he was absolutely obsessed with her. It was so funny. So yeah, so this was this I, I like randomly thought about that the other day and then this popped up and I was like, oh, look, <laughs> I wonder if he ever wrote about Miss Piggy as Carmen Miranda. He probably did. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a... So strange. Yeah, that's very. Um, I also like Statler and Waldorf's little pig Latin joke on the end of this too. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a, that was good. It's solid. So I've already made reference to him briefly in this episode, but this is the first episode where we get a proper introduction to Fleet Scribbler, who is being performed by Jerry Nelson, and Fleet Scribbler is a. I don't even want to say journalist. I guess he's a tabloid reporter in the in the Great British. In the that's in well, quote marks. In the worst British, yeah, tradition. In yeah. the worst British tradition, um, and he immediately makes it clear that he is not there for anything other than a hack story where he's taking everything out of context for poor Kermit, um, and. I don't know. I thought it was quite fun to to see Kermit and the other Muppets interact with such a different type of character mm. than we've really seen on the show so far. Although I guess he is himself quite one note. There's not an awful lot you can do with him as a character. But I liked how as we went through the different backstage bits of the show that we got to see the different characters interact with him. Yeah. What, what did you all make of it? I, I think Fleet is, uh, I mean, you, you said he's fairly one note. I think that's probably accurate, but I feel like you could probably say that about a lot of different Muppet characters uh, that they start off kind of one note and then develop. Uh, I think in this case, I think they fairly wisely started to write him out. They, um, I, I, it might have been in uh, the book of Muppets and Men where Jerry Jewell is talking about how uh, they wrote him in response to the way that uh, like they'd have, you know, they'd have the media uh, come on set and do interviews and, and whatever. And they were just kind of inspired to to create this character in, in response to that. So when they unveiled him, the media loved him. Uh, but the writers qu just quickly, like, they were like, oh, God, what did we do? We hate this character. It's awful. We need to write him out. He, he just, um, 
so yeah, I, I I don't know how much more you could have done with him. They they use him prominently in like what two or three episodes, and then you know little kind of background appearances after that, and that's that's probably the the right way they probably should have gone with him. I did not realize he was going to be coming back. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> no, it's more just like, I just don't do the... J- Jade and Emma do the research. I, I just... I bring vibes. That's what I bring to the, I just <laughs> bring vibes and tangents. So the fact that he's going back is a full surprise to me. Well, so, you're welcome, oh, cool. Lewis. I just completely destroyed <laughs> the Muppet Show for you. I ruined it. <laughs> Fleet Scribbler comes back oh. with a vengeance. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, his his use over this episode is. Uh, I know what you mean. That I was sort of worried that maybe we were just going to get uh, repeats of the first scene with Kermit again and again with like different characters. But actually, his approaching Piggy and trying to sort of maybe charm her into an interview, and then obviously trying to and a page three spread, Lewis. What? <laughs> a page. Okay, three so when spread. they said that, I did. I obviously I wrote it down. I was like, because when he mentions it. I was like, wait, do they actually mean like of Yeldy page three that we used to have, obviously? Mm-hmm. But then I was like, so yes, why isn't Piggy like walloping him around the head? Because she just sort of... I know! Because she then agrees. I was like, God, the, se- <laughs> the 70s. <laughs> it's a different time. Yeah, it's very odd uh, to think that within our lifetime, uh, Scott, that we just grew up with like a national press that we could literally walk into a shop and pick up a newspaper and on the third page they would just be like a woman with her breasts out it's like we're just such a strange country and it didn't finish that long ago <laughs> no surprisingly recently was it and also there i think there is still now a woman but i think she's usually in a bikini but <laughs> well... it's still <laughs> there's still something something for the lads on page three <laughs> it's just bizarre there's someone to blame for that i, I don't know who it is but benny hill maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah, you'd think that would have been the perfect opportunity for a good piggy hi yeah, though, wouldn't you? Really, like yeah. someone's offering her that, and she's apparently not above that at this point in time. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was still <laughs> glamorous. I don't know. Like it was uh, seventy-eight. I mean, it, I mean, to be fair, like we grew up in the age of like you know, Katie Price slash Jordan becoming like a household name from having started on page three so so are you suggesting that his offer to run a feature on of her on page three is because it was expected to be explicit is is that what what you're it would have been yeah it's saying saying some, yeah. some, okay. saying someone's on page three means they're gonna have their top okay. off that's what that means and particularly yeah. he says a photo series so i think i think yeah okay all right so that that's okay so that's that's news to me but i also don't think that that con- really contradicts now from from you know here we are in 2022 looking back at at the 70s yeah you wouldn't want to associate piggy with wanting to be a part of that but if you read anything that frank oz has ever said about the development of miss piggy i think that is perfectly in line with who miss piggy is um <laughs> I, I have I have come up with some really smutty stuff that that Frank Oz has has like you know stuff about how like she slept with all the Muppets except for oh Kermit. Um, it, it, I, I can't cite these things off the top of my head right now. That's you know I always say that the reason why I can't remember a lot of Muppet trivia is because I made the wiki to put it on there so I can forget about it. 
um, but I could I could point you to these these articles where where he has said some stuff. So you now, uh, you know, shedding uh, new light on that for for me from my perspective that that totally jives with what what they were thinking about Piggy at the time. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, you can now cite Muppetsational as <laughs> confirming that Miss Piggy would absolutely take her top off in the George in the George Burns. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I was going to ask as well whether that would have been something that translated to an American audience that they would have understood that that's what that meant. Yeah, and the inferring from your response, it sounds probably like, not. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I wasn't reading newspapers in 1976, no, of <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I could, yeah, I, I, I don't know how well that would have translated. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess probably not very well. I think to, to sort of sum it up, it's a phrase over here that you would refer to someone as a page three model. And that means that someone who does take their top off for... Got it. Got it. Miss Piggy, page three model. Oh, my God. <laughs> got it. No. Oh, no. Yeah. oh no! I suddenly yeah. feel like what we've, have we done? We, like we've opened as, up a as said by Muppetsational. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. I feel like we've opened up a yeah. page on like deviant art that I don't want to see. Do you know, you know, like a Tumblr that I don't yes. want to like yes. fall on. Never, never. You have inspired the deviant artists. <laughs> God, uh, put that on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our first sort of song with George, um, and it's with my favorite Rolf <laughs> or as George calls him at one point Ralph and the Rolf sat at the piano and they have a nice bit of patter back and forth um before he starts doing his Rex Harrison sing, sing, talk. sing yeah. speak <laughs> song Emma how did this rate for you but no for, I uh, thought it was oh really... yeah, sorry I was about to yeah I was just I was teeing you up Emma sorry I don't know why I was bothering carry on, like, Emma, you were still talking I don't know why I was on. trying to do that no, I was just going to say, I, I really like their interaction, especially when George was just talking at the beginning about the dog act and, you know, saying like, he bit me twice. And I loved how like Rolf was like, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's like, oh, so then he goes into Train Back Home, which is actually quite a sweet little song. Uh, yeah, I really liked it, actually. I enjoyed all of these little uh, <laughs> Ralph and uh, George numbers. Rolf, <laughs> don't, don't, because you're, you're get it in your head and then you'll just be messed up <laughs> okay ralph and my key train back home i guess i'll take the train back home hold it hold it hold it ralph you'll have to hurt yourself Don't play like you're not getting paid nice and easy. right nice and easy it is right from the top right i guess i'll take the train back home there's no more sightseeing left for me to see. I've wined and dined and gazed on bill affairs till mother's homemade pies look good to me. San Francisco is a grand old place. When I get back, I'll never, never roam. Tell those cable cars to wait and open up that golden gate. I'm going to take the train back home to San Francisco. I love the bit where he said that the theatre manager cancelled him but hired the dog <laughs> like it just that again that like silly vaudevillian style of humour but just so perfect and he absolutely threw it away and then went straight into the song and there was just a I don't know yeah there was just a fluidity to it all he felt so 
you know, like I've done this a million times, but I'm also having the time of my life doing it again. I'm more than happy to do it. But it's also just the inter- like the the cleverness of the writing where they talk about the dog does his act on stage, and you know, it's left up to the audience member to either get that or not. That well, as as far as I assumed, it's the dog taking a shit on the stage. It's what I thought. Is that right? That, that's the way I took it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he said about him biting him as well. Yeah, but then, so I think I that think... was then afterwards. But I just, I, it's just that kind of level, that kind of style of writing. I don't know. It just it leaves it all up to the audience to just sort of put it together, and it's and it's kind of that perfect kind of writing that can you know get past a censor. Do you know what I mean? Because it's the sort of uh, defense that I uh, that writers use where they go, well, it doesn't say that on the page. It's only what's of what you are in, like inferring as the viewer at home and right? it's just yeah yeah i, yeah, it's, I, I love it it's, i this... think the way it's it's delivered it, it's meant to suggest something naughtier than it is because he says you know and then the dog did his act and he waits a beat and mm. the audience is thinking oh no the dog pooped on stage uh but then he follows it up with he bit me you say oh oh, mm. oh george burns you you silly <laughs> you you made me think about poop <laughs> but you weren't thinking about that at all, were you? Which, which I think, and and that's that's where the where the humor is. It, you know, you you kind of tease something naughty with the audience, and then you you pull it back and say, no, nah, well, all right, not really. And it's it's kind of clever and cute. I like it. I've said it a million times on uh, on this podcast already. Anytime uh, a person kind of stands by a piano and then half monologues and then half sing talks is so absolutely my vibe. Uh, I just all I was missing while I was watching it was like maybe like being three martinis in and like holding a I don't know like a um, oh I can't remember what the brand of cigarettes oh Lucky Strike a Lucky Strike cigarette <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just sort of uh, sitting there thinking about driving home after I finished my third martini just uh, it's just a good vibe it's a very good vibe yeah that was that was part of his kind of you know usual shtick there's a lot of comedy written around um you know how george burns and with george burns and his co-stars where he's he he keeps promising he's going to sing something and his co-stars would say oh no 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 we're, we're, we don't we don't want you to sing because they know that he doesn't really sing it's kind of like this kind of speak sing kind of thing um he, he sings a little bit more on his albums like for example he you know this train back home this is a song he he had done before um he recorded it on uh, a 1975 album called "In Evening with George Burns," um, but yeah, this is this is uh, this is almost verbatim um, what he had done before. He also had. Is this a bit where they do the the Yasha Heifetz joke? Uh, playing the yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's. I I came across uh, a, a bit um, where I, I think it was was with Jack Burns where they go back and forth and they they make a Yasha Heifetz joke, but it's not this one. This is kind of like a variation on it, which again uh, I really appreciate that they went back and kind of you know dusted off this this old joke, but made it new for the Muppet Show. It mm-hmm. it just it just feels right for for what they were doing here. I think it sounds to me like the writers were obviously massive massive George Burns fans, and they were just yeah. thinking about like his greatest hits, and then yeah. just giving them a little Muppety twist. And yeah, it works so so well. It's 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 so much fun. Yeah, Emma, how does this stack up for you in terms of uh, Rolf performances? Is this higher higher or lower in your sort of? Uh 
your list? Um, I think it was quite high. I just, like I said earlier, I really liked him and George and how mm. they interacted with each other. And it was just, it was just really cute. I really, really liked it. So I would say it's probably on the higher end of the Rolf performances <laughs> yeah. um, scale. I love that Rolf <laughs> went crazy and then George had to tell him to play it like you're not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that advice. was great that really was good really advice. good good advice <laughs> yeah the fact that he ends it with no no wasn't that a nice song yeah <laughs> it's a nice little little button on the end it's good now it's i know good. we've already mentioned this uh the little backstage scene that uh follows this but i do just want to shout out uh Piggy's <laughs> line into the dressing room. How should I know what Quantum Augusta, Quantum Augusta means? <laughs> it's just, oh, like Piggy's characterization is just so absolutely bang on now. This kind of like, oh, like superior minded, but the slightly rough and ready aspect to her as well. Like there's the glamour, but then it's also the kind of like grit underneath it's no it's not just the sort of like simpering kind of uh after kermit or like the occasional high it's still got that like just it's just such a perfect way to land on that little scene it really made me laugh <laughs> yeah i was great <laughs> like, i was like i need to get that although i did get quite excited that we were going to get a pigs in space because she was in her pigs in space outfit and then we i was glad to see veterinarian's hospital but we didn't get a pigs in space so I don't know why she was wearing that. But I like that kind of continuing narrative of like, you know, just because we don't see it. I actually kind of like the idea that there's, you know, maybe a full 90 minute, you know, run of stuff that the the Muppet Theatre is doing of that evening. And just this evening, we're not privy <laughs> to seeing pigs in space. But, you know, all the hustle and bustle of stuff that's happening backstage is still is still kind of going on. I kind of like that in a world. Yeah, or maybe so. even it was going on during another backstage bit. And we just we were backstage and we weren't on stage. Yeah. yeah, we were in a dressing room while uh, <laughs> while George Burns like <laughs> like exhaled his cigar smoke over those poor puppets. <laughs> like just they must have been put like a steam clean by the end yeah. of this episode. They must have all. Stank. I was thinking that too. I was like, especially poor Rolf because he was obviously in a lot of scenes with him. I was like, that that Rolf puppet is going to need a clean, a deep clean. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna deep clean and then like hung out outside to like really oh, get Oh, oh Emma, I'm sorry. Just, you just walk past and you just see Rolf flapping like, in the breeze, blowing in the breeze, <laughs> <laughs> and would hop the fence and rescue him. Well, well, now I want to see the deleted pigs in space sketch. Yeah, me too. Me too. You might find it one day, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> the pigs yeah. in space sketch that doesn't exist. <laughs> It's the it's it's the actually maybe it goes into a page three. No, don't. Page oh three my God. Pigs in space. <laughs> Star whores. Oh my goodness. Oh God. <laughs> I couldn't. It was right there. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Is this the Chattanooga choo choo? Choo choo, back when it dies. Hey, you can give me a shine. Do ba ba ba. Can you afford? Who, who? To board the Chattanooga choo choo. Woo, woo. I've got a bed. And just a trifle to spare. Five, six, seven, eight. When you hear the whistle blowing, eight to the bar. 
then you know that Tennessee is not very far. Shovel all the colon, gotta keep it rolling. I was so excited when Chattanooga Choo Choo started up. I cannot tell you how much I love this song. I think, now, Lewis, no, you're filling a face, so I'm guessing, I remember tap dancing to this, so I'm guessing that wasn't a stagecoach thing. No, I never did. Well, we never did tap. You didn't do tap, did you? No, okay. Oh, I'd love to see you tap dance to that. (laughs) She's doing a tap dance to Chattanooga Choo Choo. That's so Shirley Temple. I cannot remember the dance. (laughs) Or Bonnie Langford. When did you do tap? Oh, I tapped for quite a long time. Went from like quite small to about 12 or 13. That's a lot of tap. Oh, I don't remember that though. I don't remember knowing that about you. I did ballet, modern and tap. Well, we all did modern and jazz, Jade. I remember tap dancing to this and like loving it so when it came on i just was flooded with lots of childhood dance memories and they're all good they're oh, fine good. okay well, that's... they're happy <laughs> before anyone's like did you have to unpack them nope they're no. fine <laughs> so weirdly i also have a memory associated with the song although not featuring me but it is featuring emma and i's dad so i used to work at a uh, a 1940s uh themed cocktail bar that was uh themed to like an underground station and on saturdays they would do a, a version of an afternoon tea but it would be booze instead of uh tea and uh my friend anna uh was part is part of a, a singing trio uh, like the anderson sisters called the hotsy totsies and her character is uh, lois legs laurel and she would present the sort of squiffy picnic she would do numbers and she'd go around and do a bit of interaction and banter with uh, with the crowd and our, our parents went with a couple of friends of theirs uh once to 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 do the the what they called the squiffy picnic at Cahoots. Book now. And you don't work there anymore, <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> mention if you mentioned that you heard it from Muppetational featuring Lewis Chandler, I might get some money off of it. Maybe <laughs> just see what happens. And then, um, so I told Anna that my parents were coming in, and my dad was going, like my family was going to be sitting in this particular table. And Anna literally would not leave them alone <laughs> for the entire thing. And there is one particular moment where she sings the Chattanooga Choo Choo, and she comes through and she creates a a a conga line of a train and she made my dad the front of the Chattanooga Choo Choo and there is a picture of my dad like proudly leading this little Chattanooga Choo Choo and he he mentions it at any moment he can he's like I was a fundamental part of the Chattanooga Choo Choo so uh yeah whenever I hear this song now I just remember standing at the bar watching my watching my nearly 60 year old father just sort of like proudly like walk while Lois holds onto his hips and like sings the Chattanooga Choo Choo so uh yeah good now, old dad now did either of these performances take place in front of a projection screen with a toy train on it <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately not unfortunately not well, That's all that was missing. <laughs> I have good news for you. They did it on the Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> they beat us to it. <laughs> yeah. I did wonder when this number started and it was just the four uh, performers in front of this kind of blue or green screen. I did wonder whether the uh, the opening number with Piggy had spent the entire budget because every every other number just takes place in front of either a blue screen or a single flat screen. I was like, oh, maybe that sort of Latin Latin set took up all the budget for this week. 
I found it quite funny the fact that they decided to do that, especially when you think of like all of the past Wayne and Wanda sketches where you had kind of actual props falling on them or, you know, I think it would have been really effective if somehow they managed to do some sort of like train prop rather than it being the... You wanted them to get actually mowed down, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, but the fact that... You the didn't tra- want the train to swerve. Yeah, the, you the wanted fact them, that the train goes around the corner as well. <laughs> Emma wanted death. <laughs> I feel like they could have at least done a green screen of a real train it's the yeah. fact it's so clearly a toy train that yeah. just ruins oh the... i thought it was cute <laughs> yeah i mean I, I... I don't know if they were were they were they filming stuff yet because there are some episodes later on um i, I forget what episode it is but there's a there's a ski sequence of a bunch of whatnot muppet skiing downhill uh, and I think that they composite some live action footage of, uh, you know, a, just a, a camera, probably some probably like a, somebody on skis holding mm-hmm. a camera going down a, a hill or something like that. Uh, but at this point, yeah, I think they were probably trying to keep it all in house. They probably weren't even going out looking for stock footage. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I would I would guess that somebody had to build that toy train, yeah. and then they had to they had to rig up, you know, that the smoke coming out of out of the train, the, the the whole thing. It's probably more effort than just building a little muppet train that they could have used for perspective to make it look big behind them or something. <laughs> that probably could have been easier. It probably would have been more muppety too. And then yeah. Emma could have got the yeah. wanton destruction that she wanted. <laughs> Very disappointed. Muppets didn't get hit by train. Emma craves the thrill of a crash. <laughs> I thought it was a great little button though because I, I did genuinely think maybe they are just going to sing this whole number just in front of this little blue screen so I am glad there was at least an oncoming threat <laughs> to solve <laughs> Can I tell you a fun fact about the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Please do Yes. So uh, the Glenn Miller How many little tap dancing girls can you fit on the Chattanooga Choo Choo? <laughs> oh there were probably a few of us <laughs> There's probably at least ten, Lewis. Oh, I'm surprised there's not like a video somewhere of you. Doing oh God, this don't jig. Emma, don't encourage. There probably is. Let's not let's not try and find that. Uh, yeah, so we know your mum listens. Yeah, send we know. It in. Yeah, Tracy. Listens. Tracy, send it in. Well, somebody has homework now. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um. So the Glenn Miller Band recording of it was the first song to receive a gold record. It sold 1.2 million copies, and it wow. was the first first ever gold record presented. That's so, cool. Wow. There you go. <laughs> That's <laughs> See, I'm not the only one that loves this song. It's fine. <laughs> no. It's not just me and your dad, not. Lewis, okay? <laughs> 1.2 million other people also loved it. But what year was that, Jane? 1942. <laughs> Weren't there more important things to be doing in 1942 than awarding a gold record no. to Chattanooga Choo Choo? <laughs> Wasn't there a war on? <laughs> like you know, just like... most important thing. <laughs> I suppose. At... Wait, at what point did America finally? Forty one was like it? maybe forty one. Oh, uh, okay. So no, not even the excuse of like they hadn't hit Pearl Harbor yet. <laughs> like you know, they were like things. That's one of my favorite things. Whenever you watch an old, like beautiful, uh, like black and white film, you sort of watch it, and then it says like you know MGM nineteen forty four, and you're like, <laughs> like really should have been probably doing something else right now. <laughs> like as much as it's like helping morale, but it's kind of like Ugh. so. Uh, we catch the uh, not yet murderous Chattanooga Choo Choo into the uh, into George Burns's dressing room. 
And we have George's interaction with Fleet. What's his name? Like, see, again, he made absolutely Scribbler. no impact on me. I'm so su- Fleet Scribbler. Yeah, very good. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't. Every time I meant to hear his name during the show, I was writing a note and then I missed it every time. And I was like, I'm not going to skip back. Somebody else will say it. It'll be fun. This is why you're glad Lewis doesn't work on Muppet Wiki, Scott, because... This oh, w- I shouldn't be allowed to work anywhere. Just <laughs> <No>, anywhere. <laughs> I only learn words when I'm being paid. We'd have to get you some Fleet Scribbler uh, merchandise. I, I think he did appear. He, he was on like a notebook or, or something, and, and that was it. Never seen I him. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> that would be if you were going to put him anywhere. That would be good. That, that's not true. He, he did appear. I think he was in some, some of the comics that they did like 10 years ago or something like that. Oh. They brought him back. Yeah. Oh wow. You know, if they can bring Wayne and Wanda back for a one moment gag in a two thousand eleven Muppets movie, there's definitely room for Fleet Scribbler. Justice for Fleet. Justice for Fleet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh George has a line in this his little uh chat with Fleet where he has this sort of little monologue about uh the key to being a good actor is if you walk into a scene and somebody says sit down and you sit down at the chair you're a good actor and I was like I agree that's all that matters <laughs> I was wondering how you were gonna like take that scene Lou <laughs> no loved it as somebody who finds the uh the sort of way certain actors Jared Leto uh chat about their process to get into uh these characters uh I think it's a bunch of crap because uh, method acting is usually just used as an excuse for uh, a douchebag to behave terribly to his colleagues for the extent of just trying to find his art. Like, nobody ever does method acting to play, like, a nice character. Or, you know, Meg Ryan wasn't doing method acting on When Harry Met Sally, do you know what I mean? To be, like, Sally Albright, you know? <laughs> just, she would just, it's called acting! <sighs> but, uh, yeah, so I was very much pro uh, George Burns' uh, little monologue on acting. And as far as we know, George Burns never sent any of his co-stars a dead rat in a box. Exactly. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> to, to to jump on your Jar- Jared Leto comment yeah no please do as, look as long as it's a dismissive comment of Jared Leto anybody can jump on yeah I'm there for it yeah <laughs> sorry Emma I knew uh, at senior school you did find him attractive but like he's only become worse and worse as time has gone by I don't know how anybody could ever look at him and think he's attractive after House of Gucci like I just don't know how that's how that's we are talking possible. like 20 years ago so it's fine <laughs> I know it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Emma, I think I had a Kelly Brook poster on my wall 20 years ago. Times can certainly <laughs> change. <laughs> like... <laughs> but no, I really enjoyed this scene. But again, all I could think was just that George is really just like, there was going to be some deep cigar stains in the sort of like mat and fur of all these different Muppets. They are going to like stink. Although, then again, how many of the uh, puppeteers probably smoked at the same time? They probably already smelled of cigarettes. And the crew, yeah. Yeah, and the crew. (laughs) Are there pictures of them smoking on the sets and things? I I can't think of any. I've seen, uh, probably of all the performers, uh, Frank Oz... he would he would smoke cigars while while directing. There's quite a few photos of that. Uh, I don't know about on the Muppet Show. I I can't think of a whole lot of that. There are quite a few photos if if you don't have... um, the, the the book that came out in I think it was eighty one, uh, called Of Muppets and Men by Christopher Finch, who just recently passed away. He he did uh, Of Muppets and Men, and he did the works, both gorgeous gorgeous books. But if you're focused on just the Muppet Show, uh, that Of Muppets and Men is the one to get. There's just tons and tons of photos in there. Um, yeah, I can't I can't think of any 
I'm, I'm sure there are some exceptions. But so actually, Jade and I do both own a copy of uh, of Muppets and Men. Jade bought hers online for a fairly reasonable amount of money, and I came across mine in a box on the street, just left outside in London. That people were just like, "Yeah, I know." And wow. I didn't. And I only realized when we started doing this podcast that apparently it was a a rare book. I hadn't even uh, sort of looked it up. Although Jade is looking at me quite angry because I also haven't really read it <laughs> I, i've looked at it but i haven't actually read it properly <laughs> lewis has got an ongoing uh um bit which is just that he's not going to read it effectively <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't need to because jade is uh slowly reading it to me in her book club week by week now at the moment so it's fine it's all good veterinarian's hospital returns hooray hooray Yay! dr bob is back with i think a really strong episode this oh week of absolutely i love i mean the fact that we start on miss piggy like huffing the gas <laughs> which Again. is just yes, yes. <laughs> hilarious and she's then... getting ready for that page three she's yeah she is. She's, maybe she's recovering afterwards she's done now she's trying to like forget what she did she's realized what she's done yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so we go from that little opener with miss piggy and then we just have it's just so solid. It's fantastic. They have all their different phone gags, which were, they were obviously puns, but it was really funny and fresh. And I really enjoyed it, especially when you had like the pay phone, the yellow pages and like make sure it's local calls. And Operator. I just thought the interaction yeah. with Dr. Bob, Janice and Miss Piggy was really, really good. How, how did you guys um, find it? When Miss Piggy was laughing yes. so hard... And then she was like, the lines are busy. <laughs> and they all just like fell about. That was absolutely hysterical. And I feel like it just was that like enough of an escalation that we haven't really seen before in Veterinarian's Hospital. It's like that infectious thing, isn't mm. it? Of when other people are laughing, you can't help but laugh yourself. Yeah, I thought this was really, really solid. I think this might be my favourite Veterinarian's Hospital so far. Um, Just so silly and joke heavy but that's what you want from it you don't want it to actually lean too far into the hospital aspect of it yeah it's it's funny because you know outside of veterinarian's hospital piggy wouldn't laugh at at jokes like that so it's kind of a, a reminder that nurse piggy is kind of a character that she plays yeah so yeah other than that you know i think uh yeah it's the, the the jokes in veterinarians hospital to i i enjoy them uh because they're just so absurd they're you know they're mm. like half a step above like the talking houses which there, there are opinions on the talking houses um but um uh, the, these these definitely work better i do wonder about you know lines about uh calling long distance and the line being busy i would imagine you know if if there are younger people watching these for the first time today, they might not get the reference. So maybe those jokes didn't date very well. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I'd say a, a, a pretty solid vet talk. I mean, if we're going to have to judge it by kids, I don't think they'd even know what a landline was. <laughs> like they would be, They'd be looking at thing being like, True. where's the screen? Yeah. Um, no, I thought it was fantastic. I really... It again, I just felt like it was slightly elevated in a way, like obviously knowing that each joke was going to be in some way telephone related. I, I started enjoying being fed the setup and trying to almost beat 
beat the punchline in my own head. And then a couple of them I got, but then other ones I was like, oh, God, these, these writers, you know, I just, I, I really, really enjoyed this one. I agree. I think this is also my favorite veterinarian's hospital as well. Just, yeah, I thought it was a joy. And I think something we've all just sort of touched on, but to compare it to something like The Houses, that's so dry and the delivery is so static and there's none of that character interplay. Whereas actually with Would this... you say it was detached or semi-detached? <laughs> and that was the level of quality of terrible joke that The Houses would give on The Muppet Show. Yeah, it's fully detached. You're hired. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was nice to see it, even if I did think we were getting a pigs in space. It was still nice to see it. And speaking of houses, um, we then go into Fozzie's number. And the reason I say houses is because this song is based on the old Kent Road, which is less than five minutes from where I live. I could walk to the old Kent Road in about ten minutes. And they mentioned Camberwell, where I used to live. (laughs) I loved it. Although I did hope we were going to get a... um, uh, when, whenever they put the Muppets in front of one of those like old timey uh, sort of row of shops flats I always hope that it's going to be a Easter parade style walk down the avenue where it will actually start moving but alas it was still uh, static because they spent all the money on Quanta the Gusta <laughs> Last week down our alley comes a tough nice old with a nasty cough, sees my missus takes his topper off in a very gentlemanly way. Ma'am says, he, I have some news to tell. Your rich Uncle Tom of Camberwell popped off. Reason, cause he worked too well, leaving you his little donkey gray. Watch, jerk. All the neighbors cry, who you gonna meet? We'll have you walk the street, we'll laugh. I thought I should have died, not to be the old Kent Road. I really loved that Fozzie was dressed as a pearly king. Because I know. it was so cute. He doesn't really get that many outfits that we've seen. How, how is he dressed? As a pearly king. A pearly king. king. Do you, is this is this not something else that translates? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I know what that is. Oh, so a pearly king, uh, like pearly kings and queens, are these sort of London. Let's see if I can get some up. London specific kind of uh, what would you call them? Like cultural cat. Like it's a very South London thing, I think, isn't it? And it would be these sort of men and women who would dress kind of how Fozzie is dressed, where they would be covered in sort of. They wear all black and then be covered in silver buttons that would be sort of adorned on the entire thing. And they were just kind of entertainers. And it's a very, very old, old kind of like 1920s, 1930s thing. But it's sort of like East London and South London. I don't really know much about them beyond the fact that I can identify them. Oh, Jade's going into presentation mode. There we go. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what they would look like. Okay. Or, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. It's kind of like a British eccentric kind of thing. And they would sing songs and, I don't know, just... I, I, honestly, actually, I've never had to explain a pearly king or queen in my life because it's just a weird thing no, where that, you sort of go, that, oh, there's a pearly king or queen. Oh, makes... I see they're from, they're from Finsbury, so it's not just a South London thing. So I stand corrected on that. But yeah, it's it's very much a working class thing as well which mm. also makes sense for this song 
because it's obviously all about the character coming into an inheritance and everything. Um, so, yeah. But th- this is another one of the things that I just... So British and clearly very British if you don't recognise it either. Like that's... But it was the UK spot. So I guess this was specifically also for us being... <laughs> a British audience. Yeah. But then us being British, we also can't quite explain what they are either. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we recognise them. Well, and and it uh, it informs. So so the the uh, outfit that Fozzie is wearing here, he wears at least two more times uh, on oh, the Muppet wow. Show. Uh, he wears it in any old iron in the Elton John episode, uh, and he wears it yep, in, um, yep. in the Kenny Rogers episode uh, in the number knees up, Mother Brown. Uh, which also, yep, again, that's a very which also <laughs> it's a London uh, song. <laughs> yeah, I and I think those are both UK skits. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah okay, that, that makes make sense. sense. That would make sense. <laughs> that's cool though. So they made an outfit, especially for Fuzzy, especially for the UK audience. I love that. That's really really cool because it is cool. The UK spots are so often they just feel like they threw them together in about five minutes flat, and that actually means that they spent a bit of time and effort on it so that's that's nice i like that and fuzzy's dancing was so cute as well when he got to his little moment where he was sort of like bopping around and obviously we can't see his leg but just the like through the puppetry sort of understanding that he's kicking his leg out the arms are going that way it was yeah I thought it was adorable. So is watcher is is that slang? I, I I don't understand that bit. Yeah, watcher would be sort of like hello or goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and also sorry, I just want to point out that it's mother of pearl buttons, not silver buttons. Yeah, that makes Thanks. sense. Thanks. Yeah. That's Emma the historian. Thanks everyone. That's a good Thanks, distinction. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that yeah. would also make sense why they're pearly kings and queens and not yeah. silvery kings actually, and queens. I did I did find a little thing if we want a little no, please do, because I, mean, I was just history. feeling around in the dark. <laughs> okay, so it says, The very first Pearly King is accepted to have been Henry Croft, an orphan and sweet street sweeper. In the mid to late 1870s, Croft completely covered his suit in Mother of Pearl buttons, creating the first Pearly suit. He did this to draw attention to himself when collecting money for orphanages and hospitals. Aww. And so the Pearly mission to support charitable organisations was born. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Cool. That's cool. I didn't know they had a charitable intention, but that does make sense as to why they're singing and usually holding buckets. So <laughs> that does make more sense. <laughs> yeah, it's not just to raise funds for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I wouldn't put it past them. I'm sure those buttons were expensive. <laughs> also, busking is just a thing. So that's also fine. Well, yeah, that too. I really loved in this next backstage bit with Gonzo and George Burns that he said that he was from the Marx Brothers. <laughs> I just, like that just felt like such a nice sort of tying of worlds together, but also a, I guess, a nod to the craziness of Gonzo's name. And it does sound like something that the Marx Brothers would have would have had in their lineup. Yeah, yeah, it fits right in. I like yeah, it. yeah, their good. cousin Gonzo Marx. Yeah. <laughs> And again, George Burns lived through the entire career of the Marx Brothers and then lived long enough to then see, you know, Steve Martin and then got to, I mean... He worked with Steve Martin. Yeah, I mean, and then he would have then, like, I'm trying to think if he had been around just long enough to see, like, even, like, Ellen come out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think he dies a bit too, a bit too early to see that. Do you know what I mean? But I'm just trying to think, like, of just the length and breadth of people he saw. He saw silent comedy. Like, I just don't, it blows my mind. Like, I can't quite conceive it. Did you, it. hold on, you said 1896. So he would have been watching, like, Buster Keaton. Like, yep. it's... But 
cinema was invented in 1892, I think, something like that, wasn't it? So the moving pictures had only been around for four years years at the point that he was born. He would have seen Gloria Swanson when she was a silent film actress and then been able to have gone to the cinema to see her in Sunset Boulevard and then seen her die. <laughs> like, you, like, that's insane. <laughs> just, I just keep thinking of things he saw. Like, uh. Well, to be fair, Gloria Swanson saw all those, all those things too. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that really tickled me. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis is gone. <laughs> Just saying. Your your uh, your outburst about George Burns fits in quite nicely with this whole bit about the the stories from the old days, and I really loved the, how that was teed up and the interplay between Gonzo and George around. I haven't told you any stories yet. And, Lewis has still lost to everyone. <laughs> it just really tickled me, Scott. I'm sorry. Oh. oh my god! But Ooh, again, no, I think that it's a similar joke to what we were saying about earlier, where it's totally playing on your expectations and then pulling the rug out from under you. Yeah, um, and then we do get to hear Gonzo tell a stupid story about the first act he worked with being a kangaroo who could tell time. <laughs> Who kept a pocket watch in their pouch, but it was set to Australian time. <laughs> yes, yeah. just it's so random, but it's it just it's just perfect and it works and it it seems to have such a nice synergy with the the little dog anecdote that George has told too. So it's just weaving all of these characters and these stories together in a really really cohesive way. I think. Yeah, they've got a really great volley going back and forth here, and it it plays right into the way that they ended it on purpose, you know, after the, the whole thing about the, the kangaroo and, oh, is, he's from Australia. No, he's, he's never been to Australia. He's from Sydney. Sydney's my agent. I think he handled me, but, but, but it's just this quick, you know, yeah. Uh, and, and it ends with, uh, you know, they finally get a, get a beat. And George says, you know, you, you remind me of somebody that I used to work with. And, you know, Kanto is, oh, that's, that's great. You know who I'm talking about, right? Walter Matthau. That's her. All right. Which, which is is great because you know they don't mention her, but uh, you know obviously he's talking about Gracie Allen, who typically in their comedy acts uh, she played this kind of like dim-witted character uh, opposite uh, George as the comedic straight man, and Gonzo is the perfect foil for for that. He he fits into the the dim-witted character that gracie allen played so so well it's just it, it's it's very nicely done if you if you know where this material is coming from and, and the way that they just they just slightly twisted it to to make it work yeah very nice That's it's cool. really good sorry i'm i've i've pulled myself together now i'm fine <laughs> you back with us I am, so... <laughs> <laughs> i wrote this down uh, as we went into the the next number is this the first sort of proper miss piggy and kermit double act song that we've had so far on the muppet show because i feel like every other number that they've maybe featured in together has been more of an ensemble effort and this kind of really struck me as the first moment i felt like i just saw both of them standing center having the entire song to the both of them yeah i think you're right i think it is i don't think we've seen a a, a duet between them yeah yes that would be a much quicker way to say what i just said <laughs> 
It's okay. It's usually me that fumbles around for the word and you go, it's a duet, Jade. So Yeah, well, I've had a vodka and now my, my brain is mushed. We're switching so like... roles. <laughs> Much like how the ballroom is switching to something we can actually enjoy for once. When this started, I swear to God, Jade, I thought I, if this was going to be another at the dance sketch, I was going to come in here so livid <laughs> at you for promising that they I were know. gone. I know. When it started, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it looks like it, doesn't it? Please, God. Yeah. But no, thank God it wasn't that. The yeah, thank God. Kermie, Kermie, won't you dance with me, Kermie? I won't dance. Don't ask me. I won't dance. Don't ask me. I won't dance, madam. With you, my heart won't let my feet do things they should do. <laughs> I absolutely loved this. Oh, so did I. I Won't Dance was, it's just such a perfect song for Kermit and Piggy to do together. Yeah. And it was so lovely how it was staged with obviously all the focus on them, but that you still had the at the dance couples milling around behind them. It really speaks to them as characters as well, that they're able to do a Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers number. And it just feel like, yeah, this is this is part of their their chemistry and their relationship. And there's this pool that that <laughs> she's so desperate to <laughs> be with him and he's just not interested. Is this the one where she does that kind of shimmying advance on Kermit? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. It's so it's so piggy. <laughs> It is. <laughs> it really is. And also my other favourite part is when she's kind of like entrapped him and his like the way that Jim is moving his face is brilliant because it scrunches all up and he's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really get the vibe of her fully there hugging him and sort of like giving him no means of escape. It's it's really gorgeous. And it just God, how how quickly would Piggy be cancelled today? Yeah, probably pretty. I think Piggy is like beyond <laughs> Just... cancellation. Do you know what I mean? It must just like. Oh no, yeah, I I, I agree. But you know, they're trying yeah. to think of like today's sensibilities with what they were getting away with that is just wild. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody would be too afraid because they know she'd just karate chop them. Like they'd be like, no, just don't, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but then that would mean that she's even more vilified because it would just be like she's unworkable she's you can't do you know what i mean like those people that are so strong and so immovable i feel like there's just an element of like we're just not going to deal with you these days (laughs) and i think i think piggy would fall into that camp yeah um as much as anything else I did write down for this that it felt so nostalgic to see them dancing together this early on in The Muppet Show. And I felt it was almost a bit like when you see pictures of like your parents when they've gone out dancing or something. And it's like the early days of a couple together. There's like a youthful innocence to it. But I did That's really... a really nice way to put yeah. it. Yeah. I really I really liked Kermit's purple tuxedo as well. I knew you'd like that. <laughs> that will also be Lewis's outfit of the week as well. Not the Carmen Miranda. Oh my god, what am I saying? Yeah, it's absolutely Carmen Miranda. No, forget I can get that <laughs> I can get that purple uh jacket any day of the week. No, give me the full Carmen Miranda, please. 
The Statler and Wardoff button on the end of this was also great. Bravo! Bravo! <laughs> yes! Oh. Joe Bravo. Joe Bravo. <laughs> I think I've seen some of his films. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll just leave that hanging dead. dead, dead. <laughs> yeah. We'll let everyone decide what that means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> George Burns style. I thought this um, machine skit was maybe a little something of nothing. So this is a classic Muppet skit. Yes. This is this is the third of uh, at least four times they would do this. Uh, they first did it uh, in 65 uh, for uh, IBM. Uh, it was uh, with the um, kind of like the, the prototype for, for Cookie Monster. Uh, they did it a couple years later in 67 for the Ed Sullivan show, also with the proto cookie. Uh, there's a Lord of the Rings reference in that one, if you listen closely. Uh, this is the first time they do it with Luncheon Counter Monster, who got his name from the Nancy Walker episode. And uh, they do it again 10 years later for a, a Muppet meeting film, uh, also with Luncheon Counter Monster. And um, yeah, I can see your point, Lewis, about it. Um, you know, it it it's it's not uh, it, it it takes its time. You know, it's a it's a, it's a little it's a little duller. There's there's some, you know, there there are some visual gags there. Uh, you know about something about how uh, the monster eats a, a part of the the machine that costs thousands of dollars, and he enjoyed it. And then the narration flips over to oh, this one's only thirty five cents, and he throws it away. There's you know, it's not it's not laugh out loud humor like some of the other stuff that might be in in a Muppet show, but it's it, it, they're they're like these little nuanced yeah. bits that that are thrown in there, and um, yeah, it's kind of fun to look at the different versions of this and see what they changed mm-hmm. and what they kept and uh, how they they mixed it up. I think probably what's notable about this one is. Uh, you know, the Muppets are obviously known for their explosions. They did them a lot um, uh, for for live appearances. Usually it was they'd have like a uh, a funnel and they would they would blow like powder up into the air and it would look like an explosion. Uh, they use a smoke machine for this with some sparks, but they added I think they use um, uh, what was called like a telestrator effects or effect or it's or it's just like a. Uh, like a very crude computerized animation over the, the screen to sort of emphasize it's it's very 70s but it was you know, it's just, hilarious just another it was very groovy <laughs> yeah. it was a very groovy it made me yeah. think of like 1970s doctor who lou 1970s doctor who would not have done that ever they would have at least it would have been a lot cheaper than that <laughs> just <laughs> i can see that i felt like with this that it went on for so long and the payoff of the explosion at the end was not really worth how long we'd spent with Lunch Encounter Monster eating this computer and taking it apart. I've I just felt like I probably would have appreciated it more if it was a bit more short and snappy and got to that explosion that little bit quicker. Mm. The one thing that I did think was really quite funny was how the mouse kept on talking even when everything else around it had completely been destroyed and eaten and taken and the mouth was still going i thought that was that made me chuckle but this was probably the lowest point of the episode for me when it got down to just the little mouth speaking on its own just that sort of that gray sort of like almost cylinder thing it did make me feel sad that at the point of technology that we're at now that (laughs) alexa's and our own little like home 
home little service bots don't don't just have a little flappy mouth that just like <laughs> lands some like one third down because actually as much as uh, we don't have an Alexa I find them scary but if we had one that had a little flap and mouth, I think I would find that utterly charming and purchase it immediately and they could listen to everything I do. <laughs> like, I would be so easily taken in by just, it has a mouth that it thinks it's people. And, you know, I would just be like, buy it. So that's all I thought. Maybe they should make Muppet ones. They kind of did. In the in the 80s, there was a, a, uh, a, what did they call it? They called it the Big Bird, Magic Talking Big Bird or something like that, where it was a, it was a big plush oh of Big Bird. Uh, and in his back was a cassette player and the cassette player had a, a signal in the tape that would activate like you couldn't do it with just like, you know, a, a Beach Boys cassette or something. Uh, but the signal in the tape mm-hmm. uh, would, yeah, Big Bird would, his mouth would, would flap. So they're they're out there and, and there's probably a, a new third party version of that that works with Alexa. So, Lewis, you might be you might be in luck. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I could, have, I could find a way to hook my Big Bird up to my Bluetooth and just have it like singing Doja Cat. That'd be great. We'll we'll get one of uh, Fleet Scribbler for you. <laughs> Fantastic, my new favorite character. Yeah. yeah, I guess they might still be quite um, cautious of like yeah, someone playing something dodgy out of Big Bird's mouth and then having Big Bird just flap it along. Singing along to something very un Sesame Street. Yeah, I'm pretty Wait, sure my Doja Cat isn't always un PC. <laughs> my my cousin definitely tried to get to Big Bird to sing some death metal, but yeah. you know, years ago, it, but thankfully it didn't work out. Yeah, thank God. I wasn't necessarily saying Doja Cat. I just meant in general, like you okay, know, some good. death metal or something would not be would not be ideal. Fair. <laughs> um, just a brief note on this little back. Uh, this little backstage scene once again i'm just being proved right again and again that scooter is a scab who follows the money and i will i will never have an affinity for scooter ever (laughs) it's never gonna happen scott i'd love to hear your take on scooter because lewis is completely against the uh, the, to use the internet's term the nepotism baby that is (laughs) scooter the gopher (laughs) what what do you think of scooter you know, I don't think anybody's ever asked me my opinion on Scooter. Uh, I, I don't think I really have one. I get he's fine, I guess. He's exactly. Just whatever. He's, he's just he's, such a nothing. He's mediocre, which I think is yes. why people are so offended by Walter, because he's like somehow an even blander Scooter <laughs> who, who can whistle like that's his. You know, he, he's got that going for him. But no, I, I don't. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I can't think of anything remarkable to say about Scooter except for you know the, the <laughs> that that's not going to work well on an audio podcast. But you know, the, 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 we'll hey. drop in a little description. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> we'll get it in post. There you go. Yeah, I hate him. But uh, by contrast, uh, Swedish chefs. Uh, <laughs> expressions uh while he's talking to fleet scribbler just sort of explaining all apparently all the business that's going on in the muppet show i found utterly charming and hilarious i want to know what he was describing because he looked like he was just saying a recipe to me like it just looked like he was explaining how it's to make another something. george burns joke jade it's left up to the audience <laughs> to decide <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think it was uh i mean you know because they they did get letters uh you know, while the show was still in production from people saying, um, you know, that's not real Swedish, right? <laughs> oh, like they genuinely God. got letters like that. So oh. I, I 
I like to think that whenever they played around with his uh, with his dialogue, they were kind of poking fun at that. The fact that you know Fleet can understand him or or whatever, maybe not, but yeah, it was a it was a thing. No, I I, I think you're probably right because obviously the joke was Kermit was thinking he was scot free because Fleet would never be able to understand Swedish Chef, and actually Fleet was having a perfectly lovely conversation with him. So they definitely were playing on that, like. Yeah. Who can understand Swedish Chef? What language is it that he's speaking? Yeah. Whatever it is, Fleet understands it. So, yeah, that's. I mean, that doesn't surprise me that they got letters, but boy, wow, that's. (laughs) It's nice to know that well, actually, Twitter uh, (laughs) existed well before the advent of Twitter, and people actually would have spent money on stamps to send in their (laughs) well, actually message to the people. Oh yeah, those are those are fun to find. We've we found. On the wiki, we found quite a few of them for for Sesame Street. People were constantly writing in about that. This this bit about the Swedish Chef is a great example, uh, and of course Brian J. Jones includes a, a a really terrific one in his autobiography of Henson in response to uh, somebody writing in about um, I think it was the Cube. Uh, have you have you read? Do uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've I've read it. Emma and Lewis haven't, but um, I, of course, I, I yeah. So so he he describes the letter, and I think he he prints part of the letter, and it's it's just this you know verbal nonsense. This guy was writing in trying to you know sound smarter than he really was, and uh, you know Jim didn't always respond to letters, but he did respond to this one, and you know the only thing he wrote back was, "Dear Mister Dion, what the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> yours truly jim henson or or whatever sincerely jim you know um but yeah there's there's some really terrific letters that that have been written into muppet projects over the years such a privilege to be able to find those kinds of things and then to be able to share them it's like some of that stuff that you just sort of think some of it's going to be buried forever and or, or hasn't been kept at all but mm. to know that it's still out there is is just amazing. Yeah, or or mothers writing into Sesame Street worried that their kids are going to be seduced by Dracula. That's that's a good one. <laughs> there were lots of those. <laughs> wow, Twilight maybe suggests that they were possibly onto something. So, <laughs> Van Van Sexy Werewolf. All <laughs> 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 that note. I'll find another song. You. Oh, I got it. You made me love you. I didn't want to do it. 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 You made me want didn't you. Didn't want to do it. You made me want you, and all the time you knew it. 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 All the time you, knew it. you made me happy sometimes. Didn't want to do it. You made me happy sometimes, you made me sad. And there were times, dear, you made me feel so glad. So glad. Let's, let's, let's do that again. So glad. So glad. You made me sigh for it. <laughs> so we go into our last number, um, which is George's kind of big musical number uh again with Rolf on the piano and I just think it's a really really sweet number you have Miss Piggy come on adoringly gazing up to George and saying you're the best and I love you and everything and I really love the like bit between her and Rolf when they kind of have a couple of remarks and she calls him I think it's flea bait yeah which 
is quite funny. I love the fact where he, George is like, right, Ralph, let's go. Let's get this in my key and kids, you can follow me. And then out comes Nigel and Baskerville the Hound. Miss Mousy comes back. <laughs> She's not dead. <laughs> She's not dead after falling out of her cup. Um, and then he, he kind of does his little Rex Harrison speak singing. Sing, sing but it, I just think it's a really lovely number. And the fact that they're doing the chorus um, and the interplay with that as well. And then the fact that you get Gonzo and then he starts kind of saying things at the wrong time. And I love that there's one bit with Miss Piggy where she literally turns and stares gonzo and he kind of disappears yeah um i think it's just a really great number yeah this is another one from his i guess repertoire if you want to call it that he he recorded this uh for an album in 1973 called george burns sings and he does it very similarly it's a it's a mashup of uh it all depends on you and you made me love you uh with a similar transition and a similar play off of um uh, the chorus that's backing him up but the, uh, again as they've done several times in this episode that uh, they add a new element to make it a little you know just give it that that muppet touch uh gonzo's uh response to uh to the lead is uh you know it's it's just this funny cute uh thing that they that they throw in there that i think works really well and i especially like you know he's he's you see him holding yeah. Uh, it, it must be like you know sheet music or something and he's he, he keeps staring down on it like oh, oh i forgot to come in on my line and here it is you know yeah. i like that a lot it's super cute mm, yeah and i think you can really see like george is really comfortable performing it as well because obviously like you said it's part of his repertoire because we've had episodes in the past where uh, for example let's say Joel Grey where obviously it's quite heavy on cabaret and he's performing his song and he just looks it well as we said at the time it was just quite uncomfortable whereas obviously George is really having fun with what he's doing and like likes performing the songs that he's well mm. known for I think he also just looks comfortable with the Muppets yeah, in a way does. that yeah. sometimes the guest stars don't yeah. I think mm. there's there's clearly people that come on and just don't know what to do about the fact that they've got these little creatures bobbing around at chest height and they don't really know where to look and they don't know what they should or shouldn't touch and yeah like he didn't have any of that you know him and piggy are extremely close and yeah obviously he's still got his cigar in his hand but he's singing for the chorus and for rolf and it's really really lovely and the gonzo bit is just a perfect twist perfect twist the harmonies in this song are are really good too mm. they're so good to the point where you know most of the muppet performers will will tell you that they can sing songs in a sort of comedic kind of way but they're not singers they're not vocalists you know which that's one of the reasons why um you know i think i don't think she's joined at this point yet but why they brought louise golden because yeah she is and she was on this song as well so okay yeah, yeah. so yeah. and i i wonder i mean i haven't read anything behind the scenes about it but i wonder if they you know had uh, a separate chorus for this because they just they sound mm. really good the mm. harmonies are just beautiful it yeah. is good it does it sounds amazing jade are you ready for me to uh drop my judy garland reference of of the episode well, into this <laughs> into this i was waiting for it yes yeah, so, go um, on so obviously one of the songs in this mashup is you made me love you which is obviously one a song from the great american songbook but it gained a new popularity and i i'm gonna 
I'm throwing a dartboard at like 1937 because there was an MGM party where a young Judy Garland got invited. That was a it was Clark Gable's birthday party that the studio was holding and Judy Garland sang this song, but they gave it a uh, an opening sort of st- like I don't know what to call it stanza or preverse or whatever before they launched into it. That's uh, her singing Dear Mr. Gable and the song is then made to be like her writing a fan letter to Clark Gable and they loved it so much that they then put it into one of their little MGM shorts so that's me getting Judy Garland into another episode of Muppets Channel. Well Lewis I'm going to extend on your <laughs> Judy Garlandness because You Made Me Love You was also the B-side to Over the Rainbow. Well that makes sense because it was only uh, like two years later. Yep and then the other thing to say is that Judy did do It All Depends On You as well. She sang it with Barbara Streisand and she also sang it with Liza. Well, But it's also, that's been covered by like so many different people. Shirley Bassey, Elle Jolson, Frank Sinatra. I mean, like everyone's done that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Judy did both of these songs. Of course she did. Um, <laughs> although... <laughs> The a couple of the two shots of uh, Piggy and George Burns, I was getting quite, I was getting quite like Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett vibes. Who also did "You Made Me Love You"? I of think. course, they did. <laughs> it's like six degrees of separation. All, like all these same standards, they just come over and over again. But yeah, there was a couple of two shots, particularly when um, I was going to say when Lady, when Miss Piggy is looking so adoringly up at. George Burns. I was like, it's just like the way that Lady Gaga looks at Tony Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, hold on. Was... Maybe they did I Won't Dance. I don't know. I definitely, when I was looking things up, oh, I definitely Oh, they did saw... do I Won't Dance. I've, nev- I've never listened I, so I to a jazz album, Gaga, but I feel like I've, I feel like I've <laughs> secondhand come across that <laughs> without, without my, without my choice. Uh, it has happened. <laughs> anyway, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah. I feel like the goodbyes also followed up on Miss Piggy as a page three model with the George Burns and Miss Piggy having been seen at a discotheque together by Pete Scribbler. <laughs> oh, God, I love dis- the word discotheque so much. <laughs> how Emma describes the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going to the discotheque. <laughs> yeah, it's a cute little ending. Like, it's not the best that they've had, but I, I, it was perfectly, uh, perfectly sort of serviceable conclusion. But, I mean, the little button at the end where Statler and Waldorf, and we have Statler actually turn to the audience and say, why do you watch this show? <laughs> I was like, ah, just, uh, because I have a podcast. And I don't know. <laughs> Which you won't understand. <laughs> well, they will. They're still alive. They're like the this George Burns of their time. <laughs> oh my God. They they're, must be even older than George Burns. They were George Burns' age in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a very nice, it was a very good little ending. I will be very interested to see how we will each rank this episode. But first, we must decide upon our MVMP. Uh, and for Scott's benefit, it is our most valued Muppet performer. Uh, Emma, why don't you kick us off and give us your MVMP for this episode? Uh, see, now, this was quite difficult for me this week because I wasn't really sure who to give it to because I thought everyone was really strong in this episode. But I think think i'm actually going to give it to miss piggy yeah um purely because i absolutely loved her opening number it was just great um and i just it was quite funny seeing her interactions with fleet scribbler as well and i just loved 
the moment with her and Kermit during their duet in the little at the dance segment. And also, I just really liked her in the last song with George as well and their sort of interaction. And this whole episode was just like pure Miss Piggy. Um, She was just really, really good. And I just thought that it was just so nice to see her kind of having a lot of fun in this episode and just having all her little bits, like we were saying earlier, where she was playing like Nurse Piggy again in Veterinarian's Hospital. So for this episode, my MVMP is going to be Miss Piggy, how about you, Jade? See, I thought you'd go for Rolf as well, who is who I'm going for, because uh. oh, <laughs> I thought Rolf was really, really adorable in this. He was. Yeah, I, I loved seeing him with George. He's got such a starring role in this episode, which we quite often don't see with Rolf, so it's so nice to see him front and centre. Um, and also, Veterinarian's Hospital was just great. So, yeah, I'm going for Rolf this week. Um, now, I, Scott, have you got a favourite Muppet from this episode? Uh, well, uh, it was. is it Most Valuable Muppet Performer? What is it? That's, yeah, Most yeah. Valued Muppet Performer. Okay, so I, I guess I'll, I'll have to go with Dave Goals, uh, both for, uh, you know, as, as we mentioned before, purposefully trying to upstage Piggy as that, you know, <laughs> random pig up there in the, the balcony, but... Also as Gonzo, because, you know, like I said, the the volley that he had going back and forth, filling in for, for Gracie Allen uh, in those scenes with George Burns was was really terrific. Yeah. Sorry, I realized we didn't clarify that. We actually do mean uh, within the the world of the, the Muppet shows in the fictional character rather than the actual puppeteer. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it to Gonzo. Gonzo, lovely, lovely. See, I... Oh. I, I'm basically weighing it up between Gonzo and Piggy for me, but I've just had a cheeky little look at my notes app where I write down who we give it to every week. And I've just seen that I have yet, I haven't yet given it to Miss Piggy yet this season. So I'm going to very happily give it to Miss Piggy. And all I'm going to say is Carmen Miranda. Like that was just everything I wanted and more. So yeah, Miss Piggy. Lovely. Fantastic. Lovely. All right, let's go on to our rankings for this episode. Uh, Jade, why don't you kick us off, giving us your score out of 10 for this episode of The Muppet Show? I'm going to go out on a limb. This has been my favourite episode of this season so far. <gasps> I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The only thing I didn't really like in it was the talking machine IBM revamp. <laughs> um, I loved everything else. So... I'm going to go for nine out of ten <gasps> toy train sets. Wow. And yeah, I I loved this. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I hope I hope this level continues because if it does, it's going to be such a joy to continue watching it. Yeah. Um I think my absolute highlights were I Won't Dance, um, just Rolf and George in general, obviously Quanta Lagusta <laughs> and Veterinarian's Hospital and my my tap dancing classic Chattanooga Choo Choo, but yeah, in general I loved it. And like Emma said, everyone was on top form. So yeah, a real joy of an episode. Emma, what about you? What are you going to rate this episode? I am also going to rate it nine Chattanooga Choo Choo's <laughs> out of ten. My God, Emma, you got that on your first go. I, <laughs> I actually said it in the first go. I'm amazed. Unprecedented. <laughs> um. Pretty much what you just said, Jade. I thought it was a really great episode. It was a lot of fun. All the sort of songs and sketches were really, really great. Probably bar like Lunch and Counter Monster and the little 
you know, computery puppet. But I just thought overall it was just really, really strong and a lot of fun. And I just really loved that everyone kind of had their moment to shine in the mm. episode this week. And I really, really liked George as a like guest presenter and all of the bits that he did. You know, his patter that he had with all of the different Muppets was really, really great. So, yeah. So, for this episode, I'm going to give it nine Chattanooga... Oh, oh, no! Oh, oh no. you were so close! Oh. You blew it. Yeah. <laughs> I blew it. <laughs> nine Chattanooga <laughs> choo-choos there out of ten. You did it. <laughs> nice recovery. Yeah. Um, how about you, Scott? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll say um, nine out of ten cigars. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Solid. Yeah, good one. Good. I think uh, at this point, do you, do you rate them by uh, how far you are into the season? Is that how you're? Yeah, we you're... sort of have to do it on a sort of running. Uh, yeah, we sort of have to you know, sort of hedge our bets ever so slightly. But if a, if an episode really just sort of uh, knocked it out of the park for us, uh, we sort of uh, we were quite lucky because we when we started season one. Uh, we jumped on it so early when it was on Disney Plus that it was in its its different uh, broad. It was in its syndication order, not its broadcast order. So we started off with like the Rita Moreno episode, and oh, who was the second? Who was that blonde woman? It was Connie Stevens, wasn't it? Connie Stevens. So these two like very sort of fun out the gate kind of like felt very solid episodes, and then we had to go back to once they swapped it background, and then we'd sort of marked those fairly highly, and then actually it was quite good because in it we were going down to like five six <laughs> five 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 six yeah. uh but this season so far we're, we've been on quite an uphill swing obviously since probably i'd say like steve martin nancy walker madeline khan it sort of feels quite steadily on a, a chattanooga choo-choo uphill uh so yeah we sort of <laughs> yeah i don't know what we're gonna do if we get to some sort of like muppet show imperial phase where we're just gonna be like 11 every week because <laughs> we've got nowhere to go yeah unfortunately the the episode numbering is awful for the muppet show because you've got uh um, you've got the production numbers, which didn't always go in the mm. order of production. Uh, and then you've got the air dates, which were different all over the world. Even, you know, in, in New York, it was different than L.A. You, you know, you could have one episode airing before the other. So uh, on, on the wiki, and I think most episode guides, uh, they, they stick to the production numbers that were used. Uh, so, yeah, that said, uh, rating them amongst, uh, you know, where you guys are in season two by now, I think this is probably, I like the Edgar Bergen episode quite a bit. Uh, I like the Steve Martin episode quite a bit. This is probably the strongest one so far. Um, you got Bernadette Peters coming up. That'll, that'll be a good one too. Can't but, wait. Yeah, nine, nine out of 10 for this yeah. one here. Yeah. So I think this week I'm going to, I'm actually... I'm going to hedge my bets just a little, but only slightly. I'm I'm, I'm going to give it eight. I didn't want to do it out of ten. Uh, I think the writers do so well rising to the occasion of George Burns and the fact that they sort of so wisely utilise his material in certain scenes. But then obviously, then, I don't know, it feels like in their other parts of their writing that don't even feature him, they're, they're sort of, finding they're trying to build that patter all the way through and i think it works really really well i mean piggy's opening number is it was just a joy from start to finish and yeah there was just there were i feel like there's always usually maybe a bit of a lull and it didn't come until substantially late in the episode for me so that was fine so yeah i'm gonna give it eight i didn't want to do it out <laughs> of ten 
All right, to close, Jade, we are going to hustle ourselves over to your book club where you will give us your extract from Of Muppets and Men for this week. So Scott has teed me up very nicely Uh because what I'm actually going to read is the bit that talks about Fleet Scribbler. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you for that earlier. Um, And also uh, for anyone who's keeping... uh, close notes this is the bit that i teed up in a previous episode and left as a bit of a cliffhanger so this is the end of that <laughs> god bless jade i don't know if i even get past the rankings but we just <laughs> <laughs> yeah if anyone is still oh, listening we know, thank we you know people are listening. we get the things through from the chart people <laughs> so this is from of muppets and men by christopher finch and uh, this is a quote to start with from jerry jewell At the beginning of the second season, we had a big reception for the English press. There was a tremendous turnout and lots of champagne, and we chose this occasion to introduce a new character, Fleet Scribbler, a very aggressive reporter, whom we had written into the show. Naturally, the newspaper writers loved him, and they splashed him all over the front pages of the tabloids. As soon as we began working with Fleet, we realised that he was simply abrasive and awful. We just wanted to get rid of him right away, but there'd been all this publicity, so we tried to stay with him for several weeks until we could drop him without anyone noticing. In a sense, the characters who haven't worked have made their own contribution to the show and that they enhance the overall feeling of reality. The abrasive presence of Fleet Scribbler in his few appearances helped define some of the characteristics of the regular members of the troupe. By seeing how Kermit responds to an unpleasant representative of the yellow press, we know something new about Kermit. Writing a show like this, says Jerry Jewell, has been fascinating. A character begins as a name on the page, then one day you give it two lines of throwaway dialogue, and for some reason there's a spark on the set, and you see all kinds of possibilities that weren't there before. You're involved in endless cycles of growth. Very good. Thank you, Jade. And Scott, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. Um, Where can our listeners go to uh, find you? And although it feels fairly obvious to say, to find Muppet Wiki. <laughs> uh, it's Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. We're, we're, we're on Muppet Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, really, I was thinking, like, how do I cue that up? Like, it is the clue is in the title, but you know, I, I wanted to give the due diligence. <laughs> yeah, we're we're uh, we're going strong at uh, thirty nine thousand plus pages, uh, wow. and 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 growing. Uh, we're on social media: Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We're probably most active on on Twitter, so I'd say you know, give us a follow there. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you. Thank you. And and thank you to all of you for listening to Muppetsational. If you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppetsational on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Calm. All right, everybody. This has been a very bumper long episode of Muppet Station. So if you are still here, thank you so much. I have been Lewis Chandler. I've been Jay Turner. And I've been Emma Chandler. We shall see you next week on another episode of Muppet Sational. Bye. Bye. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin McLeod. And our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram. That was a funny show. Yes, it was. 
I wonder if they meant it that way. 